Welcome, everyone, to Colorado State's College of Business Institute for Entrepreneurship, RAMCAST. In this first iFree RAMCAST of many, we will be focusing on a five-episode series dedicated to exploring your side hustle and unleashing your inner entrepreneur. During each episode, we will be interviewing guests who will help us outline key questions, processes, and resources when understanding and considering becoming an entrepreneur. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Solopreneur Podcast, Episode 4, How Do I Start? My name is Arthur, and I will be your host from Colorado State University's College of Business Institute for Entrepreneurship. Today, I'm joined by the Institute for Entrepreneurship Assistant Director and Solopreneur, Rachel Roberts. Rachel, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Now, Rachel, in our previous episodes of the podcast, we really have gone through the process of helping our listeners understand, um, am I a solopreneur? Who is my customer? And they've given us some really great tools and advice to get started. And now we really want to know, how do I start? So um, I've been working on my business for a while. Uh, I think I'm ready to go. Can you walk me through um, where do I, what do I do and where do I start? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so that's always a great question because uh, there's a lot of places and ways you could start. Um, I like to think about um, my journey as an entrepreneur. So I have a marketing consulting company called Microcap Marketing. Um, I've been in operations for seven years now um, and I absolutely love it. It's my side hustle um, and I really enjoy the work that I get to do with it. Um, now, when I first started, though, um, there was some really serious considerations I needed to take in before I really went out there and started making money. Um, and the most important of that was I needed to determine whether I wanted an EIN and how to incorporate my company. So an EIN is basically like a social security number, but for your business. And it's important because, one, it legitimizes your company. Um, but two, it also helps you at the year end with some of your taxes. So when you get an EIN, you incorporate your business, which means you make it real with the state. So, um, and there's a couple ways that you can do this. Uh, the one that I picked was a limited liability corporation, an LLC. And the reason I did that was because as a consulting company and being a solopreneur, if I, let's say I gave bad advice on a marketing campaign or an investor relations outreach campaign and it had an adverse or negative effect on the client, um, that client could come back and sue me for that bad information that I gave. Um, as a solopreneur, a sole proprietorship that's not incorporated, I would be both my business and personally liable for that which means if my client, let's say, sues me for $300,000 and my business can't pay the $300,000, I personally am now liable and obligated to pay that. And which I don't, is huge. Yeah, I don't have that kind of money. So <laughs> that's really huge. So um, what I did was I incorporated as a limited liability corporation, which basically means in that scenario, if that were to happen, they could only come after my business. And if I didn't have the money in my business, I could just declare bankruptcy. And I personally would not be at fault or negatively affected by that. Um, 
That's really important. Um, you know, as the uh, assistant director for the Institute for Entrepreneurship, um, I, I highly recommend that students really take a look at what their businesses are, because um, this can trans this liability issue translates to a multitude of things outside of just consulting, right? Um, let's say that you have a food delivery company um, in this COVID environment, and you give you deliver food that is not of the top quality, and someone gets sick from it. Well, can you determine that it came from the grocery store like that, or was it a delivery issue? And who's mm. going to hold that liability? So again, just kind of thinking through what kind of company you want to have and making sure you're putting the right protections in place. Um, and then also the tax considerations, right? So as a uh, LLC, you can still operate as a sole proprietorship, which means just a single person doing business, right? Um, and the tax considerations you want to keep in mind are that um, so as a sole proprietorship, you're going to be taxed anywhere between 30 to 40 percent. Um, when you're incorporated, it's closer to that 30 percent. But what it means is so if I have this, if I make a deal for one hundred dollars, what it means is I need to put 30 to 40 dollars of that away so that at the end of the year that can pay the taxes for that job. Okay, so I got my EIN, makes me a legitimate business, and I can decide, you know, what different options I have so that mm -hmm. I can sort of protect myself in the long run. And then I'm also putting money aside for our taxes, which mm -hmm. is something I, if I have a, a business, or excuse me, if I'm an employee, I'm used to somebody else doing that. So yes. I got to do that myself. Okay, check, <laughs> check. So if I'm also um, have a full time job or other businesses, um, that can be pretty challenging. Mm -hmm. So how do I manage a portfolio of portfolio businesses? I know you have had a couple yourself. So um, what are some of the challenges and how do, how does one do that? Yeah. Um, that's also a really great question. So the most important part I think of managing a portfolio business, which it can feel a little bit like herding cats. Um, <laughs> The most important part is to really stay organized, stay organized in your clients and stay organized in your finances. So um, when we have a portfolio business, we've got multiple clients, multiple places where we're bringing in revenue at a time. Um, and it's really important that you keep it very clean in your, in your paperwork and in your books what clients are giving what money and what expenses you have for those specific clients and then your expenses in general. So again, what you want to do is it's really about understanding who's bringing in what money, how much are you spending on those individuals and then how much are you spending total? And then at the end, you know, what does that profit margin look like? Um, and this is specifically challenging in a portfolio business because there's the added effect that you're also juggling your inflow of clients, the clients you're currently working on, as well as the clients that are about to be on their way out. So let's say, as I had my business as an example, when I first started out, um, I was probably working anywhere from 70 to 80 hours a week. Um, <laughs> not very sustainable. I was taking on clients, um, lots of clients at the wrong rates. Um, and I wasn't able to keep things clean and organized. So I had months where I was making an insane amount of money. And then I would have a month where I had no money coming in at all. Mm -hmm. 
And it was mm-hmm. really high highs and really low lows. And that level of stress was just not sustainable. Um, so one of the ways I found to work around that was to become more succinct and to become more organized mm-hmm. with knowing how many clients do I currently have? When are their projects about to end? And when do I need to start marketing to find a new client to replace the client that's about to, their work's about to end? So again, it's, it's a lot of just organization and making sure you're staying on top of your communications. Well, and you talked about having sort of uh, an abundance of work and then having times where, you know, it was pretty slow. Um, can you talk a little bit about um, pricing? So how do mm-hmm. I... Uh, set an hourly rate or think about a flat rate. What are your thoughts around pricing? Yeah, that's a, um, <laughs> that's a, a funny one uh, because it, uh, when I first started my company, I, a consulting firm, I decided to go with hourly. I went out in the market. I looked at what other like type um, consultants were charging hourly. And I based my rate anywhere from 30 to $60 an hour initially um, based off of the type of work that I was doing. Um, and that started out great. You know, I was bringing money in. Uh, the issue came up where um, I did not anticipate my client's uh, enthusiasm for going back and forth in the editing process. So, uh, you know, I was building a, let's, uh, as an example, I was building a standard operating procedure for this large global company and they're paying, um, Instead of charging an hourly rate, I ended up charging a project rate. And so basically what that did was it allowed me to tell my clients, okay, here's how this is going to go. We're going to start at this date. You're going to have your materials to me by this date. I'm going to be working here. Then we're going to have editing rounds. And then the project is closed. If you do not get my information in on time, then that means that we extend the project by one week. And then we go into my hourly rate. So basically what that allowed mm-hmm. me to do was it allowed me to manage the time frames of my clients a lot better so that I didn't have those like one month where I was making a ton of money and then another month where I had no money. It basically made it so that I could actually put a system, uh, almost like a calendar system in place for how I expect these projects to go. Um, And by doing it that way, I was able to make more meaningful projects. I reduced my weekly hours from like 80 down to 60, um, which I know still sounds like a lot. But if you love what you do, it doesn't feel too much like work. Um, And, you know, and it also helped me to stay very clean in my accounting. So at the end of the year for your taxes, you need to be able to provide a P&L, which is a profit loss statement. So you need to tell the government. I had these specific and exact clients. Here's exactly how much money I brought in from them. Here's my exact expenses. And here was my profit left over. So by having a project rate, it was a lot easier to just say, oh, okay, that's a $10,000 project versus me originally going in and being like, well, it could take anywhere from like one to three months. And here's my hourly and I think I'm going to work 10 to 20 hours a week. So there's a lot of wiggle room and, you know, you get to a point where you're like, Oh my gosh, how do I know how much I'm going to, you can't project, you can't anticipate what your next month is going to look like, which is super stressful. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think especially as a new solopreneur, you know, that would be something that might not have been anticipated that your pricing structure, you know, really would be inhibiting your ability to deliver value. So I love Mm -hmm. that you were able to pivot 
and think differently with sort of a hybrid model to manage out your time as well as give some consistency to your clients. Um, I think that's great. Yeah. Oh, okay. So I have got my EIN, figured out my taxes, um, can manage my time and get organized okay, I think I'm ready to quit my day job. How do I, how do I know that? <laughs> well, uh, I would say the answer to this question nine times out of 10 is don't. <laughs> <laughs> don't quit the day job, no. <laughs> but if you are thinking about quitting your day job, there's some, um, there's some ways that we can kind of calculate that out to give ourselves some peace of mind. So full disclosure, when I started my consulting business, um, it was probably about three and a half, four years before I was able to take my company full time and have that be my sole um, source of income. Uh, I, at the time I was working for a local tech incubator in the Denver tech center area, um, which was great because I was at a entrepreneurship incubator center working with other entrepreneurs while also being a solopreneur starting my own business. So I learned a lot. I got to utilize my skill sets as well as find new clients. It was really a, a pretty harmonious situation. So um, you know, think about that as you guys are, are having your side hustle and your day job. Um, but you know, when I just was deciding, when do I quit my day job? I really had to look at it from a perspective of, you know, what is the lifestyle that I want to live? What, do, what am I currently making and how much do I need to sustain the lifestyle that I want to have? So let's say that I want to make sure that I'm making a bare minimum of $60,000 a year. Okay, great. So that's awesome. But we can't just make $60,000 a year, right? Because we're now personally responsible for all of our taxes. We're responsible for all of our expenses, all of our, you know, healthcare, everything, right? So um, what we really need to do is take all of that into account and then determine how much I need to make annually. So going back to my example, at that time, I was happy to make $60,000 a year annually. Okay, but then I need to take 30% out for taxes, 40% out for taxes, right? So um, that would put me at $100,000 a year that I need to make. But I have $20,000 annually in expenses between all my clients. And that's kind of my general, like, I know that now. So in actuality, to make $60,000 a year personally, I actually need to make closer to $120,000 a year. Wow. Yeah. And so that can be really scary, especially if I did not prepare for that. So let's say I didn't prepare for that and I only made $60,000 a year, which, mind you, I have also done. Um, <laughs> sometimes you got to learn things the hard way. And, <laughs> and what ended up happening in actuality, it looked like I brought in $60,000, but I actually only made about twenty-five dollars to $30,000. Wow. Yeah. And trying to sustain your lifestyle, thinking you're making sixty, and you're probably spending the money under the impression you're making sixty, and then at the end of the year to get a big, you know, I'm used to, as a, working for someone else, I'm used to getting taxes back at the end of the year. And then to get a big bill that says you owe $20,000 was like, oh my gosh. So, <laughs> so really. Which is yeah. huge if you're used to getting money back from the government. I mean, that's a pretty big, a, <laughs> big yeah, shift. Yeah, it's a huge shift. But, um, you know, again, if you just kind of think those things through um, and you, you make a plan for yourself, you can avoid that. <laughs> yeah, that's great. That's great. These are really great tips. So, Rachel, as we think about kind of the final steps, you know, do you have any 
tips for our solopreneurs um, to, to be successful when they go to market and what kind of resources are available to them uh, as they start out? Yeah, absolutely. So I'll start by saying there's probably a hundred thousand million ways to successfully go to market. <laughs> so when you think about that, um, don't reinvent the wheel, utilize what you have. So before you even think about how you're going to go to market, I would recommend looking at your competition looking at, you know, what platforms are they using? What is their tone of voice? Um, how are they communicating? What are their price points? There's a lot you can learn from your competitors. If you notice a trend that, you know, four out of the five of your competitors are doing something a certain way or not doing something a certain way, there's learning in that. That is a pretty good indicator that they've tried or not tried doing something and it didn't work. So, you know, try to find those pieces in that. Also, utilize your customer archetypes. You've taken a lot of time to kind of understand who your customer is and what their tone of voice is. You utilize that in your marketing campaigns, in your outreach strategies, in your sales tactics. So again, utilizing that tone of voice and making sure that you're speaking to someone in a like-minded. So um, I work specifically with small businesses, entrepreneurs, and um, nonprofits. So I'm not going to talk to them like they're going to be some mega you know, Facebook unicorn entrepreneur, and they're going to need to go for all this crazy funding rounds. No, 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 no. I'm going to talk to them about how they can increase their marketing effectiveness in their local community. So again, just figuring out how you need to speak to the people that you're wanting to engage with, and then using your competitive analysis to figure out what's working and what's not working already. And then from there, um, there's so many successful ways to do it. The best thing that you could probably do for yourself is to join one of these um, resources we have at the Institute for Entrepreneurship. Um, as an entrepreneur, so as the, assist the director and myself uh, started to build these programs a couple years ago, we based them off of our experiences. I made so many bad mistakes and wrong turns uh, when starting my three different companies. Um, it, it, it could amaze you. Um, and what really changed it for me was finding the mentors and the resources that made sense that were willing to help me when I genuinely didn't have the money to pay for expensive services. Um, and that really changed the game for me. So we've designed a lot of our programming at the Institute for Entrepreneurship to reflect that. So, you know, if you've got an idea and you're, you're playing around with it and you think it could be a good side hustle or a good, you know, full-time thing, Join our Venture Validator program. It's a free four-session program that in that four sessions, you will put your idea to the test and you'll be able to tell, is there a there there? You know, before we put mm -hmm. blood, sweat, tears, time, money, energy into anything, we want to know there's a reasonable chance for success. And that program will give you that stepping stone. Um, from there, you can do our Venture Jumpstart, which will take you through, you know, getting you incorporated, figuring out you know, um, how I'm going to price things, what I'm going to do with that. Uh, and then also, how do you go to market? We'll help you figure out your tailored strategy for going to market. And then once you've kind of gone through those um, programming, we put you into our mentorship program where we actually set you with a real entrepreneur in a like-minded space that's been there, done it before, so that they can help guide you through those next steps. Um, and the cool thing about all of this is it's free. So... It's free. free. Yeah. Awesome. If anyone is out there and they're trying to say that, you know, spend thousands of dollars to get this knowledge, 
um, in this space, uh, you know, I, I would say come to us first and, and we'll talk about it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, Rachel, this has been very helpful. Um, your experiences as an entrepreneur, as well as an educator really go a long way. So thank you so much um, for your thoughts today. Do you have any final thoughts for our future solopreneurs? Um, just that, uh, you know, I, I love entrepreneurship. I, I've had three companies. I have found it such a rewarding experience. Um, and most importantly, think about this as a way to give yourself some financial freedom. Um, our COVID-19 environment right now is pretty stressful. And there's a really fantastic opportunity for you guys to utilize your skill set in a unique way. Um, and potentially give yourselves a little bit of um, peace of mind and financial security at the same time. So, yeah. That's great. That's great. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, thank you, Rachel, again. And thank you to all of our listeners. Tune in for our final episode where we wrap up our series on solopreneurship. Thanks so much. Thank Have you. a great day.